It's been a busy week at the Colorado State House. Today officially marks our return to the 73rd General Assembly, the 147th year that we've come together to do the work of governing the state of Colorado. The issues we face are always in flux, but the one constant that remains is this institution. I challenge each of you to put this institution first, like the thousands of legislators that came before us. In doing so, we'll set an example for the thousands that will come after us. Our legacy will be measured not by whether or not we resolve all of our problems in the next 120 days, but how we use the next 120 days to relentlessly pursue a more perfect Colorado. The legislative session is back in full swing. The governor's laid out his agenda for the coming year. And, oh, we're back in your podcast feeds once again. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics and policy. I'm Benta Berkland here with my colleague, Andrew Kenny, here remotely with Andrew Kenny. Yes, that's right. I've decided to live exclusively in the virtual realm now. Hello from Google Meet. And, you know, we've already got plenty to say about what's going on at the state capitol. But first, Andy, can you believe we're actually marking the start of our fifth season hosting the podcast together? No, I I actually couldn't. It's five seasons we've done over two years, legislative sessions, elections, redistricting, and more. Now, with this upcoming session, we wanted to make sure that with each episode, with each policy that we're telling you about, we're going to give you something deep, something to really chew on. As my old editor, Jim Nesbitt, back in North Carolina would call it, I want everything to be a real story. (laughs) And that means... Very different there. Um, Well, and that means the backstory and what forces have shaped the biggest debates happening in Colorado, what the state has tried before, why lawmakers are proposing whatever they're proposing. And also just the bigger story of how the concerns and issues and the debates of of Colorado's state house fit into what's going on in the rest of the country and, you know, frankly, in your own communities. And then Finally, the human story. You know, who are these lawmakers who are shaping our state? Who are the people who will be affected by these policies? This is what we've always tried to do with Purplish, but we're going to get more purpler this season. More purpler. And that can take a little bit longer to pull together. So this season, we'll be putting out new episodes every other week to make sure we have time to learn all the things and talk to all the people we really need to tell these stories for you. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it, and I guess to make it as well. (laughs) Yep. And our first full episode will be in your feed in two weeks. But for now, since we do have the mics and the studio time, there's no way we can get away without talking about some of the things we've started to hear and and learn about at the very beginning of this legislative session. We're just a few days into session now. We're seeing both sides kind of put their big chips on the table about what they want to be arguing about. It turns out both parties really want to talk about crime, and money, and the cost of living. Education. Education as well. And would you believe they have mostly different solutions? Gosh, what a surprise. But I mean, I think it is interesting that the, the main topics they want to focus on are identical. And it's something we've already seen a little back and forth on. Republicans feel like Democrats are, are taking their platform proposals. Democrats say that's kind of ridiculous. Let's not bicker about who said what first at you know, which press conference. Um, But we're we're seeing a little bit of uh, jockeying already when it comes to messaging. It's an election year with an economy that's going in some really uh, unpredictable directions. And, you know, for Democrats, that means they have to find a way to defend everything they've done and, and 
kind of avoid taking the blame. And for Republicans, it's an opportunity to say, well, you guys have been in power. You made your bed, now sleep in it. Exactly. And that's that's what we're hearing now. And I think that will be one of the things we focus on this season, because in addition to policy discussions and areas where they may agree, this whole political dynamic will almost be a separate track for, for the session. So we'll have these two, I kind of describe it as the tale of two sessions, potentially, hmm. and how they intermix and, and, and impact each other. The so tale of two sessions. Yes. Yeah, we'll see. As we all know down here at the Capitol, expect the unexpected. And it's been so uncertain the last few years. And I think that we will see that again over the coming months. But but first, let's tick down some of the things that we know are happening. Andy, why don't we start with diving into the money side of things, which we've heard quite a bit about already in just a few yes. days of the legislature being back from lawmakers money. to the governor. Yeah, you know, uh, I mentioned sleeping in the bed you made. Jared Polis is not going to be sleeping in the bed that Republicans are attempting to make for him. He has spent a lot of the last week getting far out ahead or trying to of this cost of living inflation issue that is obviously going to be a big factor in the upcoming elections. We listened to his state of the state speech just the other day, and he mentioned either saving people money or cutting costs dozens and dozens of times. I just spent way too much time actually to compiling it into this in one big supercut, which I think really illustrates where his head is at money. these days. This focus on saving people money is not new for my administration. Saving Coloradans in average. Save money for everyone who buys insurance. So is this like 10 minutes, Andy? Or? Saving seniors. Already saving that people means money. Real savings. Keeps going and going. And every time you thought he might not find his way back around to it, oh, Airpoles can be saving you money. We cut vehicle registration fees, saving people money. If it isn't clear, saving Coloradans. Save Coloradans money. I'm literally going to fall asleep tonight with his voice in my head saying, save people money, save people money. Innovative ways to save Coloradans To save millions. Yeah, I went into this with the idea that I would clip out every single time that he said it. And like 25 minutes later, I was really questioning my life choices. By saving people money. There must be at least 50 ways to save Coloradans money. 50 ways to save Coloradans money. In some ways, you heard him say this. That saving money message is not new for Jared Polis. He, for a couple of years now, has tried to frame some of his biggest policy agenda items like, you know, healthcare reform around saving money. He created the Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare or whatever the exact title of that is. I but think that different? is the exact title. Yeah. <laughs> well, can't get it wrong. <laughs> you get the sense that he, uh, he, he talks about that a lot. But, you know, this year it has come really into the fore. And what you're also seeing is not just arguing that big policy items like reforms are going to save you money, but now he's also talking a lot more about cutting fees, cutting taxes. Trying to you know save money for ordinary people. And I think you're right that this has been something he's talked about quite a bit as governor. And in certain instances, he's bucked his own party a little bit when he has mentioned his support of reducing the income tax and supporting people getting refunds under the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, which mm -hmm. Republicans support both of those ideas. But Republicans haven't been f fully on board with his message right now, right? No, no it doesn't. Well, it, it seems like they're saying, well, yeah, welcome to the party. And of course, as we said, Polis would say he's already been at the party. But Republicans, of course, this is kind of their bread and butter issue is reducing the cost of government, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that'll be a big debate for this year is, again, 
Republicans, Democrats arguing over who's saving who the most money. It's not just fiscal policy where we see Republicans concerned that Democrats are kind of using their talking points. Um, we're seeing that with public safety. And so that will be something we're, we're talking about throughout the session, how both parties are mentioning their efforts to try to reduce crime and that that's a top priority for both the GOP and Democrats. We're seeing a societal change, higher crime rates, and we're going to spend a lot of the next year hearing this argument over basically whose fault it is. Yeah, what, what whether, are the drivers there? Right. Um, has the party in power been doing things that have stopped it from getting worse or that have exacerbated it? And I think it'll be especially interesting to track it given what's happened the last couple years related to criminal justice reform. In 2020, when the pandemic hit, we paused our legislative session. Lawmakers came back later that summer and they chose a date that ended up being the beginning of the George Floyd protest. So that was happening. Right after we, Floyd was murdered by a police officer. And you could hear the, the rallies and everything right outside our doors at the Capitol. And that's when a lot of Republicans and all of the Democrats came together to pass a pretty sweeping bill to overhaul um, criminal justice and how police can do their jobs. And like you mentioned, we're going to hear a lot of back and forth about that policy as well as other things since then. Has that contributed to the crime rate or not? Here's Republican Colin Larson talking about that policy and when it was passed in that summer of 2020. That was a classic example of a, a bill that was passed in a 72-hour period, not thought through. It was emotion-driven. And we're seeing the fruits that it's born. It's drawn all of the good recruits out of law enforcement. It's made it very difficult to get good police on the street. You know, nobody's saying that there wasn't room for improvement for better training, making sure that we're recruiting the right sort of person to be law enforcement. But but Larson is saying he really thinks it should have been a more collaborative effort with law enforcement. Larson and some of the Republicans in the House voted against this sweeping proposal, but all of the senators except for one backed it. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because it kind of dilutes the Republican message on this. You heard the Republican Senate Minority Leader Chris Holbert in his opening day speech framing it somewhat differently. Many of us work together to advance police reform in this state. His message was basically, we okay, guys, we collaborated with Democrats on cleaning up some of the excesses of law enforcement and, and trying to, to strengthen the profession. Off the street. But now we ask that you join us in ensuring that our families are safe in their communities. Like Larson, you know, even if he had a different justification, he ended up blaming Democrats for basically creating a, a culture that was less friendly to law enforcement and that, you know, that's what was driving people out of the profession. People are leaving the profession, but we should know that there's also, you know, a ton of debate and a ton of economic factors addressing that. We've seen a lot of fatigue in a lot of frontline professions mm -hmm. and a lot of people leaving jobs of all sorts because there's a, a real opportunity for workers right now to gain wages. I guess what I'm saying more broadly is that it's an election year. People are going to want to argue over the root causes of complex societal problems. And it's on us to try to find uh, more more detailed and realistic explanations of it, because I have a feeling it's not exactly one way or the other. Yeah. And I think this is also an area where we're going to see some daylight among Democrats. What do they want to do with public safety? Um, you've got lawmakers who've made criminal justice reform a huge priority. They still have things they want to accomplish. And they're worried about yeah. the party you know, potentially doing a U-turn and abandoning these priorities. Representative Jennifer Bacon says you know, she doesn't think crime is up because of anything Democrats have done. And, you know, 
she was mentioning homelessness, the pandemic, behavioral health, other things that she views as the root causes. And she said she's personally worried about a, a, a backlash, especially against communities of color. And whenever people say get tough on crime, don't get me started on broken windows policies and zero tolerance and who that typically impacts. Because the problem that we have throughout all of this is to keep people from when they close their eyes, seeing a black and brown person as a criminal. I think that what Bacon's pointing to there is that while some will accuse lawmakers of pushing through that police reform bill pretty quickly, the window for major reforms like that can also be pretty short because a change in society, a change in the circumstances can slam that door shut pretty quickly. I think that's right, Andy. You, you know, policies can't be separated from the moment in time that they're created and what's going on you know, outside mm. of the Capitol. That plays a huge role, just the national mood. And I think that's always the unpredictable factor in every session. We, we don't know what could happen that could really, really influence the policies. And one yeah. area I'd be curious, because I know you follow this closely, mm-hmm. um, housing we seem to have yeah. a lot of agreement. I mean, clearly housing costs are very high. It's hard to find housing. We've, you know, in the middle of the pandemic here. Um, is this the moment in time to see some really significant changes when it comes to, to housing policy? Oh, man, that's such a good question, because what's interesting to me is seeing housing put up there on this pedestal of like agreed upon public issues along with crime, where it's like it's the thing that both parties know they have to look like they're doing something about which has, I would say, not always been the case. And I think that could drive an evolution in how lawmakers are talking about it. I want to go back to Senate Minority Leader Chris Holbert. On the opening day of session, he was talking up the need for housing, and he was also accusing, quote, some on the left of holding back housing production. The median home price in our state has grown 53% since 2016, yet there is a movement from some on the left to cease the building of new homes in our communities. What, what caught my ear about that particular statement is that that's an argument that really crosses party lines. Um, his spokesman told me that he was referring to the way NIMBYism, not in my backyard, holds back housing mm-hmm. construction in certain markets. Uh, I would, he didn't name this one, but I'm kind of guessing Boulder comes to mind. Okay. And that's something where a lot of progressives, is the interesting part, would agree. There's a whole yes in my backyard movement hmm. that you'll hear a lot about in a city like Denver, a city like Boulder. So it's interesting to hear Holbert talking about that supply issue as a driving factor in this housing crisis. And it raises the question for me of, will any lawmaker be interested in, you know, increasing supply by embracing some of the bigger structural changes, like encouraging density or figuring out other ways to kind of beef up the housing construction industry? Well, we do have uh, close to four billion federal dollars coming in Mm -hmm. for, for COVID relief. And they did set up these bipartisan groups of lawmakers and others to, you know, to craft these policies in one area was specifically looking at housing. Um, mm-hmm. That seems to bode pretty well for some agreement in the legislature, some pretty broad agreement on how to spend those funds. Yeah. And that's a great example of how a lot of stuff's going to go this year. There's a lot of money available for agreed upon causes. Um, with the housing stuff, tons of that money will go into the loan fund that helps pay for uh, affordable housing developments. It's going to really beef up that fund. But again, my question is, is it mostly going to go toward paying for more of what they're currently doing? Or will lawmakers be interested in pursuing some different strategies to encourage housing development? We'll see. We'll see. 
That is it for this week's episode. And like we mentioned, we will be back in your feeds in two weeks. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. This is Purplish from CPR News.